Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 81 of the Snyder Cut. I am your jacketed host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider, and with me today is a friend of the show, John Roca, the outlaw himself. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good. 81's a special year. A lot of good movies came out in 81, Chariots of Fire, uh, so I'm excited to be here for you, brother man, and uh, have fun conversation about things. Thanks for having me back. Weren't you born in 81? Yes, born in 81. Absolutely, yes. 1881, like right? <laughs> oh, oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Way to walk me into that one, smart ass. All right, well, you know, I sent you the run of show, although I sent it to you about 30 seconds before you mm. hopped on the stream, so it's not exactly fair. But let's start with the Oscars, right? Since that's what everybody was sort of breaking down this week. There, there yeah. were the post-mortems until, you know, like Wednesday, and by Thursday we've all moved on and forgotten yeah. about who won. Uh, so what did you think of the show, first of all? Uh, I mean, I have to say a very, um, I'm of two minds of the show. It was one of the most diverse shows ever in terms of the nominees, in terms of the people there, in terms of the films that were being nominated for these awards. So on that side of things, it's a, it's a, it's a drum I've been banging for many, many years. So to see it happen finally in such a um, powerful way was great. But by the same token, the way they ended that show, the kind of hubris of the producers. Look, I love Steven Soderbergh. I love Stacey Scher. Like, I love the work that they've done. But the hubris of these producers, Jeff, to kind of take such a colossal gamble in this situation that led to them falling on their face, I just don't understand why you make a, why you take a chance like that uh, in any way, shape, or form, especially in essence, on the body of a great actor's death, a black actor's death. I just don't understand the logic of it. They should have let it be where it was. And if, they, and if they'd gone for Hopkins, which apparently was kind of like building over the weeks, then you could have saved it by Chloe Zhao. You could have saved it by having Nomadland win Best Picture. It just, to me, felt like such a, a misstep by people who you'd expect to be a little bit more smarter about these situations and usually are. You say you say it was like a, a gamble, and and, yeah. and it was in a sense, but in a way it wasn't because every single expert pretty much was predicting a Chadwick Boseman. He'd won all the awards on all the gambling sites. Mm-hmm. He was like a plus gajillion favorite, a minus gajillion favorite, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, and it was just like it seemed like it was an inevitability. Like it, that's how shocking this Anthony Hopkins win was. Now in the last few days. But leading up to the show, there was some talk among the, the trades reporters that this may have been in the offing. Yeah. So maybe at that point, I mean, I, I understand where it's like best picture is what it, it was what the Oscars should culminate into. And you should have a whole big group up there celebrating their group achievement, exactly. which is what mo- making movies are all about. It's not about the individual. Right. Like this would have been a beautiful moment had Chadwick won, I think which is why I can't get too angry at them, but you're right. It, 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 it backfired big time. Yeah. And I, listen, I don't know how, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm good. I'm I was going to say it. So I don't know how you bank on the Academy doing the right thing, Jeff, where in the history of that Academy, have they consistently done the right thing in selecting the person of color over the white person in contention for the award? I mean, you three on FYC jumped off the walls at green book winning, and it was one of the most horrific films to win one of those lifetime movies about racism. And there were other films way more qualified to win. But once again, the Academy went for the let's make ourselves feel good choice. And it was ridiculous. And the same thing happened here. Once again, just like Viola Davis losing to uh, uh, Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins or whatever it was. Ridiculous. So the Academy is not, does not have a strong track record to make a gamble like this. So in the end, no matter how much we think we've advanced, there are still people who kind of choose one way or the other. I'm not trying to cast dispersions. black and white thing? I, I think there's a possibility of it, sure. Why, why do we think it wouldn't? Do, I mean, Do you think the right thing would have been just giving it to, to Chad because he's black? I, I think a lot of people choose certain choices in certain moments because of what's happening. Now, that doesn't mean to denigrate who gets award, who doesn't get award. I'm not saying that, but you can't deny, you can't tell me that every single person who's ever voted for every award has done it from a purely artist, artistic place. You just oh, can't. Oh, I think you're it's right. Not humanly I, I'm not possible. Enough, 
I'm not so, naive enough to think that. Right. I'm just wondering but how I, much might be worked into this situation, how much might be here. But by the same token, I'm not trying to take away Anthony Hopkins. Certainly an incredible performance. Right. So I mean, that's the thing. There were three people, really, who were deserving. And, and you could argue Stephen Yen as well. I, I don't think Gary yeah. Oldman was. Um, but I think there were three people deserving. I was surprised that if they didn't go for Chadwick, that they didn't give it to Riz Ahmed. I think has been fantastic. Yeah, with Sound of Metal, yeah. You know, for 10, 12 years. And, like, I just uh, – that that's the culmination of his career. Uh, you know, Hopkins was, was great, but I didn't think he was better than, than Riz. And, and I, I borderline with Chadwick. I thought Chadwick was great. If he, yeah. if he had won, it would have been deserving. I don't think it would have been because – you know, he's black. I think it would have been because he, he died. Well, no, 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 no. Don't misread me. Yes. Don't misread me. It's not that I think his, he should have won the award because he's black. Hell no. He, he delivered an incredible performance. Uh, and when you look at the nominees, there were three nominees of color, two white guys, and they went with the oldest white guy in the group. And the Academy, what's the biggest thing they've been dinging the Academy for for years? It is old white men getting to vote for these films and not really understanding what's happening in the more mainstream culture and what they're looking for, what they're liking. And maybe more old white men or old white people, regardless of gender, gravitated to the father more because that's a story they understand. They've seen yeah. their parents go through it. They're possibly going through it themselves or their families going through it. And how many of them were actually watching Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? How many actually were willing to put on a film that is a very black story, a period piece, putting racism in their face? I just wonder how many of them were willing to put themselves through That's it a, to a give Chad Bozeman a fair shake. Yeah. I mean, Ma Rainey, I thought, deserved the Best Picture nomination. And Agreed. So, so we knew from the outset that, that they did not have the, the support within the Academy that other uh, awards titles did. I just, um, I, I look at Riz Ahmed and Chadwick and Stephen Yen, I see three young men of color. Yeah. Right? And maybe that's, they ended up splitting the vote. You know, and that and that is what Anthony Hopkins allowed him to sneak in. We don't know whether he won by one vote or a thousand mm -hmm. votes, right? Yeah, and I, I know that's a controversial stance, and that's why I think every Academy voter should release their votes. I really believe that, a thousand percent. Uh, if you're willing to be a critic and you want all the credit and the and the status that comes with being a movie critic and a movie pundit for a famous site or a, or a magazine or whatever, then you should also be willing to take the slings and arrows of your decisions, of your votes, and put that out there for people to decide if they want to follow you anymore. We, we as a put critic. ourselves out there, and the academy yeah. members don't have to because it's a, it's a secret vote. Um, right. You know, besides the completely inane, uh, you know, honest ballots that we do get a look at, where you get to see this is the thought processes right. of so many people in the academy, which is just absurd. And, um, and I want to say one last thing: as much as I ding the academy. I love the Oscars. I thousand. I grew up watching the Oscars. It was appointment viewing with my family, then by myself or with my friends. Like it was huge. Had Oscar I mean, parties. It's like you know, a all of that. Yeah. My 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 dinging of it is to make it better. My dinging of it is not to take it away or not have it. It is to make it better. And I want that very very clear uh, in my criticism. You know, th this year the ratings were down big time. It was you know maybe yeah. under ten million or a little bit over ten million when the final count came in. Uh, which, you know, a few years ago, it was like 40 or 50 million. Or like yeah. when I was watching, you know, the, the Oscars in high school, at least it was like 40, uh, 35, 50 million people. Yeah. Um, so I think people are just not as interested in awards these days. I, yeah. I think it's a tough look to see celebrities patting themselves on the back and giving each other awards in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. I understand why they didn't want to be too jokey, you know, and, and strike a, a, a little bit of a more serious tone on, on yeah. Sunday. But I also... The show, it, it wasn't great. Like, as far as, forget about the winners, were, did you think that they sort of did the best they could in a pandemic with that show? Or, like, what would you have done differently? Were, were the speeches too long? Did you want clip packages, montages? Yeah, I mean, I, if you're going to celebrate movies, how the hell do you take away clip packages? I, I just don't understand that. And in a pandemic, why do you care about how long it is, to be honest with you? People aren't going to watch anyway. So you might, none, nothing... Uh, uh, none of the award shows that happened during the pandemic have gotten great views. They've all been historic lows. So you knew that going in. So to me, I'm like, great. You want to adjust the show? Fine. Let them do the long speeches for acceptance. Totally great. But throw in the clip package. It's going to go long anyway. Nobody cares. It's nobody's going to watch. So put it on there for the film fans who are watching, the people who love movies. They are your diehard fans. 
They want to see the clips. They want to see the packages. They want to see those things because the Oscars is a once a year opportunity to fall back in love with movies fully and remember the history of movies. And for me growing up as a young kid, whenever I watched the Oscars, I would see clips of films that I'd never seen before and go, what is that? And that would make me go search it out. So it's a way of replenishing the love of films and replenishing the cinephiles, replenishing future movie critics. It's a way of doing that. And I just think they dropped the ball by trying to make it too slick and too hip and too funny instead of making it uh, uh, also uh, reverential to the medium of film. I, I was surprised they didn't bang the drum more for the returning to theaters thing. And yeah, that may be, be right. because maybe these studios don't really give a shit one way or the other, and they just want stream, you know, it's all about streaming these days. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they're content to let that business die off. I mean, I think that that would be short, short sighted and stupid. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I was surprised that there wasn't more about the magic of a movie theater and, and that kind of thing. Um, is there any, do you have any other final thoughts on the Oscars before we move on? No, just shout out to every person of color who won. So many great surprises, so many fantastic steps forward. I mean, Chloe Zhao is the first woman of color, but also the only second woman to ever win Best Director. That is fantastic in terms of moving the moving the goalposts, moving the ball forward on a, on a football field here for the Oscars. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud that they're listening. I'm proud that the people they brought in over the last five years have really affected these awards and where they're going, opened the eyes more of this Academy. And whatever we want to ding it for, we're at least moving forward. And next year, I hope it to be better. And the year after that, better and better. So it's more reflective of our overall society and the overall composition of our society. And that's a good thing. So as much as I may ding it, I have hope for the future. And we, we saw Daniel Kaluuya win, uh, Yu yes. win for, for Minari. I thought, uh, you know, she, she was particularly well-deserved. What did you yeah. think of Frances winning her, her third statue over Viola and <laughs> Tough, tough, tough for me because... Viola was incredible in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, put on that weight to play the character, really dived into the role. And I thought Francis delivered one of the classic Francis McDormand performances. So it's a very difficult situation. I honestly could have gone either way with both of them. Although I felt like Viola Davis, it was her time. She was due. She's she's come so close so many times. She's an incredibly powerful actress. And she's lost twice now to these uh, icons of uh, uh, icon iconic actresses, iconic white actresses with Meryl Streep and and Frances McDormand, and so it's just a shame that she keeps coming away empty-handed, and she doesn't betray any sadness when she loses. So she's a classy woman inside and out, and I think she deserves an Oscar. And I hope one day we'll see her have one because. It's so similar to Angela Bassett, who delivered I mean, so won. many incredible she, she, performances. She won, but it was for supporting, right? Right, for supporting, right. The best actress carries a certain weight to it. You know that. So. Sure, of course. No, I, I get it. Um, uh, yeah, we can move on from the Oscars, although there's a related story this week, just really quickly. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio got the remake rights to another round, uh, and if all goes well into the film to that one, he's going to star in it. It would be a very different type of role for him. Uh, what did you, you make of that news? I hated that news, bro. I hate anything where it's like, this film just came out. It just got nominated. It just out. But let's Americanize it. Come on. You know, these are great films. Let's drag Americans to see these films. Let's make more of a deal. Now you're just going to remake this so you can give it more exposure. And to me, I just, I'm not a fan of that kind of stuff. I, I'm not, I, I rarely see f uh, American remakes of foreign films uh, succeed. So to me, it's just frustrating on so many levels. But I get it. DiCaprio sees the possibility of another Oscar hanging there if he nails that performance. So we'll see. I mean, I'm with you. You and I are both two people who, who can watch movies with subtitles. Yes. Fortunately, the truth is that, you know, there just aren't a lot of people who do that. Like, I don't know how many people, maybe my, my youngest brother will watch like foreign TV shows. Right. But, you know, my, my, I can't get my dad to watch a, a foreign show. Maybe Narcos at best. Right. Uh, and so another round, which is a good story, you know, I, I there are things I don't love about it, but that's a good story that, you know, he would never see. And so now yeah. with Leo in it, he'll, he'll get a chance to watch it if they end up doing it. I mean, it's it's a movie so, you know, part of like that Danish culture yeah. And, yeah. and that kind of thing like that. The original title is Drup, which means binge drinking. Right. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if that will necessarily translate to to America. We'll see. Did you like Cold Pursuit? That's another remake of a of a Dutch for the Liam yeah, Neeson in order one. of disappearance. Yeah, I love the order of disappearance. It was Cold Pursuit yeah, was okay. Was better. Yeah, that's the thing. At the, end. the same thing. They're, they're almost tattoo. always better. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, Miss Bala, the original uh, Sleep. That right. Jamie Foxx, Sleepless. 
Yes. When there's a whole yeah, there's a zillion of them. Girl with dragon all, tattoo, so much better Numi Rapace than anybody else's ever played uh, Salander. I agree. With you. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, we're going to talk about Viola Davis in, in a little bit, but first, uh, the the big news story of the week was Captain America four. Yeah. Uh, the announcement, and this came like I think it was the same day that Falcon and the Winter Soldier aired its finale. Malcolm <laughs> Spellman and uh, and Dalen Musun, forgive me if I mispronounce that. Uh, are going to be writing this. Do you think that that Malcolm Spellman's a good choice after Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Mm. Do you want to see Anthony Mackie, you know, get a, a Captain America movie, or or do you want? I mean, Chris Evans. There's been rumored to return to the MCU. Do you hope he's more involved in this? No, I, I think uh, I think I've moved on from Chris Evans in my mind mentally. Yeah. I love what Anthony Mackie did over these six episodes of Falcon and Winter Soldier. He really came into his own as an actor. Of course, he'd done great work in other films uh, and other projects rather beforehand, but there was something about the maturity of how he played Sam Wilson, the calmness, the patience, the understanding, the empathy, the vulnerability. It was all here. I mean, those conversations with him, him and Carl Lumley, that's a class that in acting, that's an acting class that you can watch and take as you watch two different generations of black actors discuss something that has resonance in, in real life in our world and so all of what he did was incredible here malcolm spellman i felt i, I I'm, I'm wondering how to judge this series because obviously we heard before the series started that this had originally been 10 episodes they had to make some adjustments to the storyline oh, with the flag smashers affected by the pandemic for yeah sure. affected by the pandemic so to me in my mind i think malcolm spellman did the best he could with what he had but in the end, I also felt like he dropped the ball a little bit on the PTSD stuff. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more with Walker's wife, her relationship with, with Walker, how that kind of decorated how he reacted to things. And so I thought there were some drop balls here. But overall, I think he's absolutely, absolutely earned the chance to do and write a uh, Captain America 4 film. And I love Sam Wilson as Captain America, and I'm excited to see what they do with it. I hope they make some adjustments to the costume. It's a little more bulkier than you would anticipate. So hopefully they make some adjustments uh, for the film. But I'm excited for it. I think, I think he more than deserves it now. Uh, I'm delighted to see Mackie as Captain America, as mm -hmm. I have uh, you know tr trumpeted last Friday. I've always wanted to see Mackie play Captain America, dating back to before Chris Evans was cast as Captain America. <laughs> okay, when they were struggling to cast the original Cap, Mackie was my suggestion, and I even had mock art put, you know, drawn up for him wow. uh, in the suit, and he ended up getting cast as as Falcon. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was kind of like a dream come true. I know Anthony a little bit, uh, and I think he's a terrific, terrific actor. Yeah, uh, he did do a really good job on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Although at the end of the show, when I looked back on it, I do think. Like you said, Malcolm Spellman kind of dropped the ball. I just had a lot of plot holes and questions, and I was just like, what What was really the point of all this other than to just keep the MCU alive in our imaginations uh, in between these movies? Um, so I, I hope that, that uh, Malcolm Spellman, maybe with his co-writer, does – does the MCU a little bit better justice? Um, but I think that yeah. you're right. He did earn the shot. Having done what he did for the Sam Wilson character in this mm -hmm. show, he should get the first crack at least to write this uh, Sam Wilson's Captain America movie. Yeah, and I hope they find a director, a black director, who's going to come in. I mean, uh, get Ryan Coogler to direct the Captain America 4 after he's done Black Panther 2 would be very, very interesting. Or bring in uh, what George uh, Cable Jr. who did uh, uh, Creed 2 bringing him in, or Stephen Cable Jr., rather, bringing him in and have him kind of take a look at this. So I think you got to bring a black director in, male or female. I think you have to bring them in to collaborate with Malcolm Spellman and kind of hone a little bit of the stuff that I felt Malcolm dropped the ball on. That would be exciting on so many levels. My friend who, my friend who's black producer on my channel, he said to me, Sam Wilson does not have a conversation about race with any white person the entire time through the series. And I was like, Oh my God, I never even caught that. He's like, yeah, he had it with Carl Lumley and with his character with Isaiah Bradley, but he never has it with that senator, never has it with any. He does the speech, but he never has the back and forth fully about what it's like to be a black man in this country fully. Bucky apologizes, but they never actually have a full-on conversation about it. And I think that's where the series kind of didn't quite get the job done. So hopefully that could be an aspect they throw into Captain America 4. I, I had issues with myself. Cap. I had issues myself with like the flag smashers and, and their ultimate agenda and, and some of the John Walker stuff. I mean, I thought it was an enter an entertaining series that I Certainly. looked forward to watching every week. Um, but in the end, it just felt like more Marvel, more of the same Marvel stuff to me. Yeah.
Yeah. Um, speaking of Malcolm Spellman, him and John Swetnam uh, have done the latest draft of this Vin Diesel movie, Muscle. He's been attached to this for a little while. He just got F. Gary Gray to direct. Now, they <laughs> worked together on uh, F8, The yeah. Fate of the Furious. And that is like the craziest set. Uh, you know, I- I've heard some crazy stories about that set, including some stories about F. Gary Gray. Are you surprised that Diesel and, and uh, the F8 director would get back together? Or do you feel like maybe they established some trust and some shorthand there? Yeah, probably. And, you know, look, Vin's going to go. I think it may, it's a smart move by Vin to go with a director he already knows. He already understands, you know. And uh, I thought Fate of the Furious was a fun movie for the for what it was for that series. So I think I thought F. Gary Gray did a nice job. Uh, and he's got a history of doing great work throughout as a director. He's a very so, solid director. Yeah, exactly. So why, even his misses have great stuff within them, you know. So I think this is a right move for Vin. And, of course, Vin is getting up there, bro. I mean, you know, you can be an action star. I guess you can go until Liam Neeson in your 70s. But when you get up there, you really want to work with people that you understand, people that you have some kind of comfort with. And, look, Bloodshot was horrible. So, uh, you know, outside of the Fast and, he, and Furious yeah. movies, he does not do well, really, overall. And don't give me that Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. He's just saying a lie. It, right. It's 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 more about him being on camera. And so why not go with someone who understands who you are and understands how you work and can get better work out of you for something I mean, outside. A part of me was surprised. F, I mean, F. Gary Gray would like want to do this. Like, would, would <laughs> this, maybe he's a little hard up because I, I think I don't I don't think he's really lined up much since that that giant movie. Um, but at least he knows what he's getting into this time around. Yeah. When you're working with Vin Diesel, Vin Diesel's calling the shots on, on these movies, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, th- that is just to be expected with the start of, of his level. Um, all right. Uh, Gloria Estefan, as the mother and father of the bride, this is something that I, I said on the podcast last week. Sure mm. enough, it hit deadline a few hours later the next day. What do you think of, of a Cuban-American father of the bride movie? That, this is great. You know, representation. You know, we're in this country too, ladies and gentlemen. We have just as many weird stories as everybody else. So why not have us be a part of this and be uh, and do this version of it and make it funny? I hope, you know, I, I, I imagine there's just using the bones of of the story and then really filling it in with cultural stuff that'll I'm be for sure. that'll be universal but still distinct to it's uh, matt lopez who's like doing a zillion of those kinds yeah. of, of, of projects i think he's got a real uh, feel for it do you think andy garcia and gloria estefan is like a really good anchor like a steve martin diane keaton uh you know like the last one i guess i wonder because i haven't seen gloria act too much i don't know about you i haven't seen her do acting really i mean i've seen her music videos but like i haven't really seen her do a lot of acting so i'm I, i'm curious to see how she does garcia of course it's a great anchor to the film it's going to be great to watch him play this character but uh how much of a role will gloria stefan play is it more of a little bit of stunt casting and then having her be because she's been very uh very vocal for many years about cuban americans in this country mm-hmm. about her culture about spreading the the gospel of her culture so having her be a part of it i think is very a very strong sign for the latin american community than the hispanic community that they're they're approaching this with a real understanding of what they want to do with it to appeal to that community as well as an overall community of film goers so, yeah. so adria arjona um is playing the bride hmm. she's puerto rican this is supposed to be a Cuban-American family. Is there any <laughs> issue there? Any issue? Or is it I, just, I, listen, there's not a lot of, the truth is, there's just not a lot of Cuban-American actors. Yeah, yeah. Maybe well, right. famous actors, I should I say. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the thing at the end of the day. I think we're going to get to that point where it has to be distinct. For example, Tony Plana has been from every Latin country in the history right. of his career. So you get to this point where, okay, we're, we're, we're opening the doors. Studios are being more open to having us do these films and letting us do these films and greenlighting these films. So let's not get too caught up with this just yet. Unless it's a, unless it's like a distinctly Cuban story. I think, you know, something like Fidel Castro or something like any of the, the refugees from Cuba, stories like that. I think that's where you cast a Cuban actor, something like a lighthearted comedy. I don't think it's going to be that worrisome uh, for people overall. Um, this was an interesting one. Stephen James and J.K. Simmons doing this project, National Champions. Stephen James is going to play like a college quarterback who leads a player's strike 72 hours before a big game as he fights for, you know, equality and that kind of thing. Do, do you think that this is sort of like the next iteration of sports movies where they all have to have this kind of, uh, 
you know, a, a other like a political agenda, almost like safety. Did you watch Safety on Disney Plus? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love Safety. I thought it was yeah. terrific. But do yeah. you think like all a lot of these sports movies now are going to have that kind of, you know, those big moments and scenes? Yeah, well, movies have always reflected our society, right? That's what's happening now in sports. We're certainly seeing where in the past we'd, see, we'd seen player power in terms of negotiating massive contracts for themselves in the 90s into the 2000s. You and I are both fans of basketball. We saw that in the NBA in the 90s, how much they negotiated for their take and their piece of the pie. Now we're seeing them being more politically active. We're seeing these athletes being more aware of the power they have in their communities and the power to affect change in the overall world. And LeBron James kind of leading the way with that. Certainly Dwayne Wade buying a chunk of the Utah Jazz. That's really interesting to see what he's going to do and change the culture of what of what that of that fan base, all of that. So you're seeing this move forward. Certainly Kaepernick's situation can't be ignored when you talk about this. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing this more and more. But the NFL is the one place where we haven't seen the player power be as strong. And so this is a curious place to set it in football uh, to see how this plays out uh, overall. And J.K. Simmons is a perfect cast for a guy who's probably pretty upset about the situation happening. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm wondering if he's like the coach who is at first is really pissed at his star quarterback yeah. but then becomes supportive or if he's playing like some NCAA bureaucrat. But either way, I do feel yeah. like the college sports movies that we get, whether it's like Blue Chips or the, even the program, yeah. you know, they may not be the greatest sports movies of all time, but they always say something kind of interesting. Yeah, and there's always a strong coach figure that has something to do with, with the overall narrative of the movie in a powerful way, either helping things along or being an obstacle that they have to overcome. So it makes sense to, to go this route. Um. There was a lot of talk last week about uh, someone suing like Apple and iTunes for the, you know, when you when you buy a movie, right? Mm -hmm. Technically, you're not really buying it. You're buying it as long as the movie is on the available on the Apple service, right? right? right. Like, what, what do you make of all that? Because I, I find it kind of like a fascinating thing. When you pick, pick, you know, click something that says buy or purchase, do you feel mm. like it gives you infinity ownership and permanence or is it like you know like would you be upset if a movie that you bought somehow disappeared from your your queue yeah this is a really excellent point you bring up jeff because and this 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 conversation is very interesting because we just had i think i'm right on this warner media just announced they're not going to do physical media anymore in terms of blu-ray or dvds one of the major studios i think they're going to they're definitely scale, scaling back i, scaling I don't think they'll get out of it, it, it yeah altogether but yeah right but this is something that people like me who love physical media it's it's heartbreaking to see that it's heartbreaking to read that because everything is going to go digital so you're, it's an excellent point like if you're buying this you would think you own it in perpetuity it's yours you bought it you should be able to download and then have it but the way Apple works it is you, you have to have a working Wi-Fi to even have access to this movie uh, in that way. So th that's the question you have here is can you should you be able to own it? And I think you should with digital with uh, sorry, with physical uh, media kind of going away. You're going to th then the digital media becomes, in essence, the collection you show off to your friends or the collection you have a virtual collection. Right. We see this NFT stuff happening as well. So, like, there's a way of owning someone's meme, shit for God's sake. So, tangible. Right. And physical right. media is there's no fine print with physical media because right. it's, it's in my hands. Right. Um, and I feel like that, you know, Apple is sort of hiding behind that that fine print, which is what we all agree to when we use the iTunes store or whatever right. it is. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a valuable lesson that this, this stuff, there is, there is no permanence to it online. No, and, and this is what's going to cause more and more de app developers to create programs uh, to rip movies because they're going to be able to, to rip those movies uh, and have people are going to be able to have them because that's the way we're rebelling uh, uh, at Apple saying, well, you only have it for as long as uh, we allow you to have it. And, you know, there's humans hate that. I, if I bought it, it's mine. You right. know, so. Um, all right, I want to talk some movies with you. We're about halfway through the show. Uh, did you watch Mortal Kombat? Yes. Give me, give me your thoughts. <laughs> all the Snyder brothers have watched it independently. <laughs> okay. Uh, here's what I'll say. Um, when I, you know, I visited the set uh, when I was working at Collider with you, man, and it was okay. a great set visit. Had a fun time down there talking with the production people, uh, talking with the actors, Louis Tan specifically, genuinely awesome human being. Uh, uh, and 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 being to walk, getting to walk on the set, seeing the costumes, seeing some of the dailies, 
and hearing some of the music before it was ever released. Mm -hmm. It was such a phenomenal experience. What a great day in my career, for sure. And But the overall vibe I got from everybody we spoke to was this. We love the 1995 original, but we are going to make a better movie. We're making a more serious movie. We're making an R-rated movie. We're making a movie to appeal to a wide audience. And it's going to be breaking that stigma of video game movies. So I came away from that set visit totally excited ready to see a film that's going to make like a crap ton of money and just be a phenomenal entry in the video game franchise a video game movie franchise mm -hmm. uh and in the end that is not what happened at the end we got some uh, some terrible script moment scripted moments some bad scenes uh some of the acting left a lot to be desired but there was something i mean certainly kano stole josh lawson lawson stole the movie hirioka sonata really brought a gravitas and a power to scorpion joe taslam as a sub-zero good stuff mm -hmm. as well uh, but in the end, it was kind of cheesy and not in a good way. I've seen a lot of people say they prefer the 1995 original now because it didn't take itself seriously. And this one took itself too seriously and then undercut a lot of what they were trying to create. And sadly, I would say this, Louis Tan, as much as I enjoy him as an actor, it was not his best performance. And creating a character like that that's supposed to be the audience and... He's kind of milk toast. He's, he's bland. Just, yeah, he's it's bland, bland. I guess bland. Yeah, it's not a good situation overall. Yeah, it's. It, um, I'm not a fan of these movies where it's like all set up for the next movie. Yeah. And, and even though I, I liked Without Remorse, which we're gonna, I, I want to talk about with you. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but uh, no, I'm watching I, it tonight. It felt like a two-hour epil, you know, prologue to mm -hmm. a Rainbow Six movie. Um, I don't understand how you you build up this idea of a of a tournament. And then there is no tournament, and 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 you're thinking this is the pre-tournament movie, and then number two will be the tournament, and then there's going to be a post-tournament movie, number three. Like, mm -hmm. just focus on making one good movie, and, and I don't think that this was it. It, it to me, it, it was about as good as Godzilla vs Kong, where when people were fighting, I enjoyed it, and when they yeah. weren't, it was unwatchable. But I would argue Godzilla vs Kong was a little bit better because at least Rebecca Hall was believable when she delivered every line she said. You had Stellan Skarsgård, you had Damian Bashir, you had a higher level of actor uh, well, that, that was that's, involved. That's for sure. That makes the difference, man. That but I also felt like because of that, they probably had a budget that was like four times as big as Mortal Kombat. So yeah. to me, I, I actually, and literally, if you go to my, my insider.blogspot.com, they're right next to each other on the disappointments list. Mm. And I did swap Mortal Kombat above Godzilla vs. Kong just on the basis of if you have $200 million and all these great actors, you should be making a better movie. <laughs> That's fair. That's Mortal Kombat had some handicaps. Um, but yeah, it was it was a disappointment. I loved Kano. I thought Kano was good. Oh, yeah. I also loved Sub-Zero. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, when, you, when your lead is, is that boring and there's just, what were the stakes of this? I just didn't. Yeah, and someone pointed out to me about Kano, as great as the character was, he discovers his power after he says some of the most... Uh, sexist racist homophobic stuff so you're like wait this is how he got his art right he got in so, touch with his inner self and, and that's yeah. what the that's what it that's was a, that's not a positive so it's just a overall yes i know he's a villain but it's but it just did not seem a positive, like it was a success know? it seemed like yep. a, a, a a maybe not a flawless victory for for hbo max but a victory nonetheless and i think yeah. it did fairly well at the box office given that we're still in a pandemic and people are, are slowly returning to theaters so maybe Although, we will get a second movie with, with johnny cage in the tournament I would be surprised if we don't get a sequel at some point. It's absolutely going to happen. Yeah. Um. Okay. So without remorse, you're watching later today. Mm -hmm. Uh. Okay. I will tread lightly then. But I thought that Michael B. Jordan was a total badass in this movie, and that cool. Ano Salima did a did a good job with the action sequences, much like he did in Sicario too. Like the guy's a, a good director. Mm. Um, I think that if he got like a big property like a Jurassic, whatever, Marvel or DC movie. I think he'd probably do a pretty good job. Um, I just felt like the script uh, let him down here. And, that, and that's from Taylor Sheridan, um, mm. which was a bit of a surprise. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't know if J Jody Turner-Smith, I don't think she was maybe the right person for this. I I'd okay. originally heard Cynthia Erivo was going to, to, to be the Michael B's co-star in this. Wow. Um, who I think may, may have been a little bit better uh and yeah i just thought, thought the movie suffered from like a, a villain problem but i'll be curious to get your thoughts you know once you've seen it is it now you say this about this director so was, i didn't know it was the same guy who did uh, um uh, the yeah, second sicario yeah. um that one when you compare it to villeneuve there's no comparison the atmosphere is there 
but he but there are blown moments throughout that movie and and storylines that don't make sense for the characters overall and then a decision a really big decision whether you go with it or not near the end but i i thought the mood of the action sequences was great certainly but you know yeah. act to me action movie directors the the foundation like the base level you should be good at shooting action movies the great ones understand how to shoot the scenes in between the action sequences mm -hmm. that, get, that that elevate your film beyond the genre that it's in so to me that separates so if he's got another film where once again the it, the connections or the chemistry or the dialogue or, or the scenes that are shot don't quite uh, hook you into it as strongly as the action sequences do then that's a pattern and what we'll end up with is if you hand him a franchise movie, the same thing will happen like what we saw in Godzilla vs. Kong. Adam Wingard, a damn good director, but it didn't quite get there with Godzilla The truth is, Kong. I don't think these studio execs give a shit. I, I just yeah, think that's they fair. Want, they want those big action <laughs> moments that they can stick in a trailer and make people yeah. show up. And then if they like, don't like it or don't like the story, that's on them. You know, like... Fair point. If the guy can direct an action sequence, um, that that's for sure. I just felt, I think you're right, that, that it is those moments in between that, that define a great action movie. And that's why I think that this one fell short. And I promise you this, if it yeah. was a great action movie, there's no fucking way Paramount's selling it to Amazon. Yeah. Right now. Like, they're that's not letting go of Top Gun or, or Mission Impossible or anything. That's what worries me for Tomorrow War, because that trailer did not excite me, bro. Oh. Yeah, well, I, I don't even know what, like, what is the point of a little tease like that? Yeah. That's something that Amazon does where there was, like, a thousand trailers for the Underground Railroad or something. They they yeah. over they actually over trailer. I I think yeah. I wouldn't have released that that Tomorrow War thing. I would have gone with like a, a full thing that explains the premise and, and yeah. it was off J.K. Simmons or something. I don't just I don't know. It was yeah. you're right. It wasn't good. It was um, other movies this week. Uh, did you watch the Kid Detective? No. What is that? Highly is that recommended. Like... Highly okay. recommended. Uh, starring Adam Brody from the OC. Oh, coming off a turn in uh, in Promising Young Woman, he just plays a a, a a a he was a boy prodigy detective, you know, who, who used right. to solve the, the crimes of who oh. stole my lunch money and things like that. Right, I saw and, this and trailer. Someone okay. brings a murder, and it, it, I thought it was very, very, very good. And that director, somebody should be working with. Like, I don't think he's announced okay. a new thing. Uh, Golden Is that Arm on Netflix is that on Netflix or a ninety nine cent rental on iTunes? Okay, ninety nine right. cent movie of the week. Right. Golden Arm came out this week. This is a, a movie starring Mary Holland from Happiest Season. Yes, uh, the arm wrestling movie. Arm wrestling, yes. yes. Written by my friend Jenna Milley. I, I enjoyed it. Like, really? You know, it, yeah. Okay. I, oh, I, I had fun they with off, it. They know. offered to me a screening link, and I was like, oh, I don't know if anyone's going to watch it. If you say it's good, then I'll get it. All right. I mean, I thought, I thought it was a fun indie comedy. You know, I, okay. I know what I'm getting into. It, it, it was a little, you know, goofy at times or whatever, but ladies arm wrestling if you like yeah. glow I, I think you'll have fun with this all the personalities and stuff yeah i like mary holland i have a i have a soft crush on mary holland so i okay. would like she's she's very funny and she does those at&t commercials yes. for a little bit but she's done whenever she pops up in tv shows or movies she delivers a great performance in veep she was fantastic her co-star is good in this her, oh. uh, it's like betsy soldaro or soldano okay. um and, and she is like you know, like a four. She's like a fortune femmes feimster Melissa McCarthy type, who, okay. uh, like a Zach Galifianakis almost. She was very good. All right. Uh, and where's that? Is that a rental as well, or is that out on? That'll be on VOD, I think, this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another movie on VOD, Murder Barry Win, that I saw about three friends who create, you know, a murder sort of horror board game. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you know, I mean, it was it was just very cheap and low budget. It wasn't terrible, but you know, okay. uh, left something to be desired. And then um, I watched some old movies this week, John. Last night yeah. I watched Ransom. Oh, give me back my son. Totally holds up. What a great <laughs> movie. Like, do you have fond memories of Ransom? Uh, here's what I'll say. I I liked Ransom, but I saw that twist coming a mile away. Yeah. Uh, and so it kind of a little bit ruined it for me. But overall, it's a powerhouse performance for Mel Gibson. And I know people listening or watching have their feelings about Mel Gibson. Totally respect that. Right. But it's a great performance from him. I love Delroy Lindo in the movie. Yes. Rarely so getting good. A, right? He rarely gets a chance to play these kinds of roles. So it's always fun to remember, hey, he was doing stuff before Defy Bloods, people. He's had quite a career. Yeah. So it's great. Rene yeah. Russo, fantastic. Gary Sinise. And shockingly, Lily Taylor. Lily Taylor, the indie oh, darling good. in this Dude. film, was so weird. They're all so good. Donnie Wahlberg and Liam Shriver as brothers. 
Nick Nolte's son, I thought was really good. Yeah. yeah. He's not chained to a bed. Um, (laughs) It's uh, it's a great movie, Ransom. But you know, it's not available anywhere on streaming. I had to call in a favor. Wow. Um, Call Ron Howard. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I have. So I have Ron Howard and Brian Grazer on video saying to to Justin Kroll, I got them to tape personalized messages. (laughs) They say, Justin, you got to ask yourself, is today Jimmy Shaker Day? (laughs) <laughs> um, that's awesome i also watched the pusher trilogy or most of it uh i still oh yeah finish on, on uh, number three but have you ever seen that no i haven't that's one that's on my list of things to watch for sure a lot of people speak highly about that trilogy are you enjoying it so far um yeah i mean it, is, it was okay. mads mickelson's like first thing he ever did or something like that right, uh, right. so he's so young and he's he's crazy in it um and also kim bodnia who's in uh, killing eve he's the handler Oh, I love him. He's in yeah. that? He's the lead uh, of the You just Bush sold movie. me, bro. You just yeah, sold yeah. me, bro. Now yeah, worth tracking down. Those are from Nicholas Winning Refn, who did who did uh, Drive, of course. Drive. All right, some trailers this week. Well, let's start with the big ones from the Oscar. West Side yeah. Story. Woo. Let me tell you something. I did a trailer reaction for my channel as, uh, about this because, I and I don't do a lot of them, but certain ones I want to do. This one, because there is no person on the planet who wanted this film less than I did because I'm like... Why do I care what yet another older white dude's got to say about this thing? We already saw it with Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins. This is a this is a Latino gang versus a white gang. Let me see it from a Latino point of view. Let me have a Latino director get involved in this or Latina directing involved in this. So I was hesitant, really hesitant. Plus, the first film won 10 awards, 10 Oscars. So I was like, how are you going to improve on that? And we saw the debacle that, that the most recent remake of Ben-Hur was. So I was worried um and steven a lot of people didn't like ready player <laughs> one but this trailer was stellar man it completely yeah. won me over i'm on board bright colors really beautiful sequences throughout the movie you get the vibe of 1957 new york you've got kids that look like the age that they're supposed to before this uh, you've got all these latina and latin and latino uh, actors involved on the shark side of things very very exciting I wonder how people are going to take the Ansel Elgort thing. Are they just going to yeah. brush that away? I think there's a forward? room full of publicists working on that right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure there is. What did you think, man? I, I thought it looked great. And I say that as someone who doesn't have any real affinity for the original West Side Story. It's, you know, so it's a mom. It's a movie my mom told me she loved. Oh, as well. Jesus so, Christ. God uh, save me, man. Yeah. I, I thought it, the trailer looked, looked great and potentially special. I think Stevens wanted to make a musical for a long time. Yeah. Um, I think Rachel Zegler looks like someone who could be a real star. Absolutely. Uh, but like you, I, I am very curious about the Ansel Elgort of it all and whether that will uh, affect things. Although at the end of the at the end of the day, I am someone who can separate you know the art from the artist. And yeah, well, I think it's all subjective. I think everyone removes the art from. The, how many of you listening or watching who are so vigilant about somebody are throwing it, throwing away your Weinstein produced movies? How many of you are no longer ever going to watch? Goodwill Hunting or Pulp, uh, Pulp Fiction or any of the Tarantino oeuvre because in essence when you're doing that you're supporting Harvey Weinstein so it's a, these are the things that you have to kind of be a little bit less judgmental of other people on a little more understanding about how subjective this whole idea of art versus when, artist is when I watch a movie I don't feel like I'm supporting anyone other than my own entertainment mm. uh, mm. addiction I don't feel like I'm supporting Kevin Spacey when I watch The Usual Suspects or something mm-hmm. but uh, what to, about, you know, to each their what about what about Woody Allen, man? Did you watch that Allen versus Pharaoh documentary? I didn't actually. I didn't. Bro, bro. I mean, I I, I can uh, assume what it, what it what it said. Some of the they have some phone conversations with Woody that are pretty chilling. So just putting it on your radar if you care to watch. Uh, I'm not a big Woody Allen guy. I, oh, okay. I could have I could have right. watched that rainy day in New York thing. I I, I found a way to to get that, but <laughs> I, I don't care anymore. Like you know, all these movies that I've seen are have been terrible since Match Point. So. Yeah, good point. All right. Okay, Midnight in Paris was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, we talked about the Tomorrow War. Did you watch the little uh, ad for Physical, the Rose Byrne Apple show? No, I haven't seen that one yet. A friend told me about it yesterday, so I'll watch that one. Did you like it? I, I just I, I love her as an actress. I, I think mm. she's a delight. So I would totally watch a, a, a half-hour Apple series uh, with her. We got a little taste of Nine Perfect Strangers uh, during the Oscar cast, the Hulu yeah. show with Nicole Kidman. Doing a very weird uh, accent, yeah, uh, but a great cast for, for that show. I'm looking forward to that. Another trailer for In the Heights. Uh, you know, we, we've gotten mm. three or four different trailers for that. That's going to be a big hit this summer. Are you excited for that? 
I did. I saw it already. It's incredible. Oh, that's uh, right. You you got yep. the early access. I did. I was very. I campaigned a little bit. I rarely do that, Jeff. I campaigned on Twitter about it, and you I was very lucky for the movies that you love. Yeah, I'm starting to lose more and more of my shame because you know you got to do what you got to do to get access to certain things, and I think as a Latin voice in this sphere, I think it's an important voice to have. What so, I tell you about closed mouths, John? <laughs> they don't get fed. That's they don't right. get fed. Uh, but yeah, and you know, uh, so I got to see it and yeah, I, I, it's incredible. It's so, so good. It's as good as the trailers look, if not better, ladies and gentlemen. So that's what I'll tell you quickly. Who's the standout performance? Um, I would say, well, in terms of, I would say all four of the, well, we already saw Corey Hawkins. So the three kind of newer actors in this, the, uh, the main actor and the two actresses, stellar, 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 stellar. Immediately, they should be getting cast in so many things. Well, uh, Anthony Ramos is the new lead in, in the Transformers franchise. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Ramos would be fantastic. He was really good in this. And I listened to the um, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, uh, version of the stage version where he played uh, Anthony Ramos's character. And Anthony Ramos absolutely does a way better job with it. And so that tells you, like, this is a guy with an extreme amount of talent who is going to go far. So, yeah. Will it be a uh, Best Picture nominee? I think it's very, very possible that it'll be a Best Picture nominee. Wouldn't it be... Because it's not coming out, what, till later this year or next year? When is when is the date on this? Because uh, it could be... Tonight is June, isn't it? Yeah, so it could be battling with uh, um, West Side Story for Best Picture. Two musicals maybe battling to be which which one will be nominated and for Best Picture. Dear Evan Hansen also comes out this oh, fall. Right, so that's, right. I mean, it's the year of the musicals. <laughs> we need to celebrate, man. We've been stuck in a, in yeah. a house for years. So yeah. we got about uh, 10 minutes left okay. in the show. Um, are you going to watch the, the Michael Che show? Are you a fan of his work on Weekend Update? Uh, I am and I'm not, but yeah, I didn't know we had a show. I, saw, I was watching the Keenan show. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's Keenan. If you uh, love Keenan. But I, I like what a, Keenan, but I don't do that. What about this Michael Che show? Talk to me about this. I don't know it's much about It's like an about. HBO Max show. You know, he's going to – I think I think he, he likes pushing buttons. So I, I think yeah. it could be interesting. And he's got, a, you know, half the cast is SNL people too. Hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm going to see someone push Che's buttons once in a while. I, I'm cool if you like to push buttons, but you better be open to having your own buttons pushed every once in a while. Too. Right. He, he is a little uh, notoriously thin-skinned. We yes. saw a trailer for a Gene Smart HBO Max show called Hacks that kind of looked fun. Did you watch that one? I did watch some of this mo- actually this morning uh, on Twitter, off of Twitter. I like this. This looks good. I love Gene Smart. It looks fun. She's been so good for decades, bro. So to see her step into this kind of a new role for her, it's exciting to see what she's going to do with it. So it looks like fun. Yeah, absolutely. They, they like her on HBO Max between Watchmen and, and Mayor of Easttown. They're like, we got to get this woman her own show. Are you watching that? Is it good? We haven't we haven't started it because we wanted to wait Mayor until the episode show. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. I've seen okay. five episodes. We had director Craig Goebel on last week. You know, nice. he's a tough act to follow, but here you are, John. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, watch that and stick with it. Because it's okay. Great. All right. Definitely. Uh, Oslo, we got a trailer for. This Ruth Wilson, Michael, uh, no, Andrew Scott. Andrew Scott, okay. right, hot priest guy. Uh, and that's a, that's a movie about the Israel-Palestine conflict uh, and a Norwegian couple that, like, struck the peace accords. Spielberg's an EP on it. I thought it looked interesting. Okay. Um, we also got a trailer for C. Waltz's directorial debut, Georgetown. Christoph Waltz, who, who insisted on a C. Waltz director credit, um, which I thought actually looked interesting. Um, okay. And then Port Authority, which is this indie movie with Finn Whitehead and uh, Lena Bloom, a transgender actress from Pose, executive right. produced by Martin Scorsese. I thought that looked interesting too. These, this is the stuff you know that I'm, I'm planning to check out in the coming weeks. I like it. I like it. Uh, I, I have to take a look at and, and watch these. Uh, if I can re- recommend something on HBO Max yeah. for those people who like to read subtitles, there's a great new real life or true true crime documentary that's a, a six part. I think it's called Pray, Obey, Kill. It's out now. You guys should definitely watch this thing. We just, I think, finished episode five, rounding in, or episode five, I think, is this week and running into episode six next week. Stellar, stellar stuff about this weird section of religious people who, this this guy who's a, a reverend there or a, or a pastor there, both of his wives were killed in his house and there's a bride of Christ and there's this triangle and these two do- it follows these two documentarians who are trying to find out 
how this happened, how this guy convinced the nanny to possibly shoot uh, these people and shoot his wife so that he could be free of his wife to be with someone else. It's so interesting. And they're interviewing this guy has been in jail for 17 years now because they ended up convicting him and they're finding new evidence that maybe he actually didn't uh, influence this woman to do these things. So it's a fascinating thing. If you don't mind reading subtitles, and another one is, which is already wrapped up, The Investigation. That's a fantastic foreign series yeah. as well about the story of the uh, a, a reporter who was uh, uh, raped and dismembered by this guy who owns a makeshift sub. And they explore how this all happened and how they caught him. So very cool stuff. That's not a document. It's more, that's an acting thing, but it's, or a, or a, a dramatization. But we, the, we've the talked one. about The Investigation. On oh, yeah. Okay. I, oh, I, I loved it. And what's yeah. crazy is that the documentary that tells that story oh, yeah. is never going to see the light of day. Mm -hmm. Like I saw it at Sundance. It was incredible, like remarkable. Wow. Uh, they basically, you know, did a documentary on, on a murderer and, and not knowing he was going to murder. Right. And yeah. they're like, talking to him. And then like two hours after he finished his interview, he went off on a submarine and killed somebody. Yeah, um, so uh, yeah, the crew of that movie actually revolted against their director and said that they felt taken advantage of. Holy and shit. that's why the movie is not going to see the light of day. Wow. Um, yeah, it, 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 that is a wild story. So the investigation and then pray, obey, kill. I've gotten a thousand emails for that show. Yeah. It did look interesting. I agreed to write up the trailer for them, but I have not watched it myself. Your recommendation is going to go a long way with me, John. I want to watch Please, it. It's good. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, Master of None, you going to watch season three? You watch I, I am now with Lena. Like I like the this Azizans are. This is smart by everybody involved. Like okay, Aziz took a lot of shit. If we're gonna come back with a third season, let's focus on Lena Waite. And Lena Waite, of course, it's not. She's like she's like some wallflower, untalented person. Incredibly talented. So it's a smart move that changes the show a little bit and takes the heat off Aziz and you focus on Lena and see her journey. And she's always been such an integral and brilliant part of the show. So it's going to be so much fun to see things from her point of view now and what she's experiencing even more. I'm looking forward to that as well. I'm just glad that that, that show is back because I do think it's one of the best things that Netflix has ever done. Mm -hmm. I will miss, you know, ha having Dev front and center, but I do think that Denise is, is a worthwhile supporting character to focus, you know, an abbreviated season around. It's a five episode thing. One of the episodes is only 20 minutes. I was looking last yeah. night. So in the end, it's just over a three hour investment for season three. Uh, wow. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that all in, in one night, basically. All right. We talked about reviews and trailers. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see. Is there anything else on on your mind, John? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, what, anything you want to talk about? The NFL draft tonight. Yeah, the NFL draft. What do you think? What, what's going to happen here? Uh, I mean, Patriots need a quarterback. It's just about what, <laughs> what we want to give up and how high we want to go up in the draft to get one. Do you like the Teddy Bridgewater trade to the Broncos? Do you have any thoughts on that? I don't. I okay. don't. <laughs> he, he's not a quarterback who scares me, nor are they a team that that scares me. If they don't get a quarterback, are you okay going into the season with Cam Newton? Yes, because okay. I think he has better receivers, and I do really like what Cam brings to the running game. Um, but uh, yeah, he's not the long-term solution. Look for all the madness of last year, and you guys having what like ten high ten players uh, leave for COVID. Yeah, regions, for the defense, you still went seven and nine, bro. So that's incredible and that bodes well with the amount of money they've spent to bring in the new talent they've brought yeah. in i think we have a 10 and 6 11 5 team maybe with cam at, at quarterback but yeah. you know it could it could certainly i i want them to draft quarterback tonight sorry what were you saying about uh what you wanted to talk about oh no i was gonna throw out what's your feeling about this pebble spinoff thing with elizabeth banks like oh god i forgot i forgot to yeah. put that in here <laughs> uh i mean silly <laughs> right I, I, I mean, I understand this, the approach to it, right? I've seen this on, on, on my show, Geek Buddies. Was, yes, absolutely, this makes sense because a lot of franchises are either rebooting or adjusting to make women their leads. And and that's and it's shown up uh, in a positive way in the box office and, and on the small screen. So, okay, great. This is an interesting change. 20 years later, she goes into the Bronze Age, bronze age and she's uh, going forward. The thing is, I don't understand why Elizabeth Banks has to voice the character. This is so confusing to me because she's a character in her 20s. You can get plenty of actresses who can slide in and voice the character of Pebbles who are currently in their 20s and can bring a little more of a realism to that. But not that Elizabeth Banks isn't a damn good actress. She's very good in comedy. 
But see, but I just don't understand the concept. Bringing someone of color, even America Ferreira voices a white Viking or a Scottish person in the, the the How to Train Your Dragon movie. So why can't you do that? It just seemed odd to me that she's. I'll also tell you why, voice. John. Tell, I'll tell, tell you why. Tell me. You ready? Tell and it ties into uh, another thing that I wanted to bring up, which is that John Mayer is going to be hosting some kind of late night talk show. I don't. Yeah. Even okay. I mean, listen, it's it's Rex Chapman hosting a, a clubhouse there or whatever the <laughs> hell he just wants. It's that these people, no one is content just being one thing and they all have to do everything that, that comes away there. It's greed. It is honest to God greed. Okay. I mean, Elizabeth Banks, you're, you're absolutely right. You need to voice pebbles now in a show. Like maybe if that's the, the impetus to get it made, you know, if that's what she has to do to, to collect her producing fees, like, but it's it's ridiculous now that they take yeah. this talent. Here's John Mayer. Oh, his albums aren't selling as well. Now he's a podcast host. Now he's a TV host. Like, right. everybody's everything now. They're they're just leveraged into a million different things. That we're signing TikTokers to to do like. No one's just content having 10 million people on, on TikTokers. They need to now launch their own fashion line, and it's yes. fucking agents run wild. <laughs> yeah, it's a new show. I like it. Agents are in the wild. But no, in, in no way, I'm not trying to bash Liz Vance. I'm just saying, as someone who is in the voiceover community, who has plenty of friends in the voiceover community, to me, it's like, why would you have to do the voice? It just doesn't make sense. There are plenty right. of young actresses. Yes, it's an open tape deck that's going to go to somebody. And so why doesn't she take it? You're right. She could just produce that show and hire a, a young, struggling, twenty-something actress to voice Pebbles. You're right. Fuck, go get Rachel Zegler. Why does I'm sure Pebbles Rachel Zegler could kill be, it? Uh, you're right. It's, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Again, um, I'm glad that she's doing, but I don't know if it's going to work too because remember she rebooted Charlie's Angels and that did not do well. So mm -hmm. will she do well with Flintstones? We wish, oh Pebbles, we shall see. I, I am no fan of Elizabeth Banks behind the camera. Okay. No. That's a separate um, conversation, and one yeah, I probably really. will agree with you on. Yeah, go uh, real quickly, some 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 uh, up and comer stuff. Caitlin Deaver lined up a, a pair of movies, Ticket to Paradise, with, yeah. with George Clooney and Julia Roberts. She's going to be playing their daughter, and then this Brian Duffield movie, No One Will Save You. Yeah. Noah Centennial lining up a Netflix CIA series. He's the golden boy for Netflix. Yeah. He's got a zillion movies and TV shows with them. Cole Sprouse doing Moonshot for HBO Max. Florence Pugh doing Sebastian Lelio's movie, The Wonder. Journey Smollett getting the lead in Bad Robots, Netflix movie, Lou. And Thuso Mabedo, who is the star of The Underground Railroad, she is going to be in The Woman King with Viola Davis. Nice. Replacing Lupita Nyong'o. That's about the African female warriors. So, the, you know, th that's six actors right there. Deaver, Centennial, Sprouse, Pugh, Smollett, and Thuso Mabedo, who, you know, are, are, are booking jobs. And I always uh, like reporting on the up-and-comers because it's yep. those moves that interest me most. Yeah, absolutely. I read your article on Diva, great stuff, and and it was great to see her uh, kind of moving forward because certainly she delivered some fantastic performances in two completely different type of uh, projects with Booksmart and uh, was it un, un Unbelievable, yeah. Unbelievable, incredible stuff. And so seeing her moving forward, I think, is very positive. And Centennial, of course, as you said, incredible. I just got uh, um, the screening links this morning for Underground Railroad, so I'm definitely going to watch that this weekend and get more uh, exposure to that actress that you were mentioning and see what how, how she does and see if it excites me to see what she's going to do. Is Centennial more than a pretty face? Like, does it, is this a guy who you think could really be a movie star in a few I, years? I'll tell you, I don't think it matters because I think the, the old way of thinking things like you and me used to feel about it, yeah. it doesn't work anymore. Pretty comes with more weight and power nowadays than it used to these actors come in and they have more understanding of how to play this game they have a more interest in how to expand their brand how to diversify all of it. They're very, very smart about how they jump in now. So they understand they can be, if they were just a pretty face, you're not going to last too long in this town anymore. You got to be a pretty face with a little bit of weight to you uh, in terms of your branding and your uh, diversifying and that's going to, and your talent. And that's going to keep carrying you through the next thing. Cause they want a war. They want status and rewards eventually, but it's more about like the power they bring to anything they're involved in. Okay, well, I think that that's a good place to end. Is there okay. any uh, any final thoughts that you had, John, this week? Any, no, no. Uh, I think anything we can... you want to plug? 
Oh yeah, I'd love to plug if you want to come over and see some of the content that I have on the Outlaw Nation channel. Please feel free to do so. It's youtube.com slash John Roca says. We've got those Geek Buddy reviews for Falcon and Winter Soldier. We're about to start Bad Batch next week with uh, Laura Kelly coming back to be our co-host for those. Uh, and then, we'll, of course, Loki, MF5, will be back for Loki as well. Also doing a bunch of stuff over there for sports, for entertainment, for news, and for politics. So please come on over there and follow me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you're a cinephile, The Cinephiles, my podcast, is out there with me and Steve Morris and the Top Ten with me and Matt Nost. That's my life. Sounds good. Uh, you guys know where to find me in Snyder Plus on Twitter, the world's first premium Twitter account. Uh, keep an eye out for my up and comer of the month article coming on Friday. Don't want to say who it is just yet, but the release date should give it away. And then a quick RIP to U UTA co-founder Marty Bauer, uh, a legendary agent uh, in this business. That'll do it for the Snyder Cut episode 81. Thank you, everybody. Keep wearing those masks and washing those hands. Stay safe out there. Thank you to John Roca, the Thank outlaw, for, for joining us. Give my best to Mrs. Outlaw and have a wonderful weekend.